Okay, we are in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12, reading from verse 1. Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice in all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. Now here is the king walking before you, but I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. And I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Here I am, bear witness against me before the Lord and His anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. And they said... You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, He is witness. You know, this is an amazing portion. He starts out and he he reminds them, I've listened to your voice. You said you wanted a king and I've appointed a king over you. And this is an example of God's permissive will. It wasn't God's will for them to have a king at this time. The king was supposed to come later. But God had allowed it to happen. So God does have a permissive will where He allows us. I mean, sometimes God says, no, it's not going to happen. Sometimes we pray for things, we ask for things, and it's not the right time. But God in His grace and in His permissive grace gives it to us. And that's an example of it. And then He says... In verse 2, now here's the king walking before you. So, he's speaking of Saul. So, Saul is there with him as they've at the end of chapter 11 after this defeat uh, of the Ammonites, of, of Nahash, of the Ammonites. They had all gathered at the end of chapter 11 and now he says, now the king is here. So, this is the anointed that he's now speaking about, that he's making reference to. He says, but I am old and gray... And behold, my sons are with you. And I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. So, Samuel is saying, I am old and gray, and I've walked before you. In other words, I have walked with God, and I am still serving God. Now remember, Samuel was given to, to uh, uh, the tabernacle service with Eli, probably when he was around three years old, three to four years old. So he was really quite young when he started serving in this capacity. And so he did simple little things. And as we, he was a little bit older, we remember him there in the tabernacle where he would open the doors and he would serve in these ways. His entire life, he is serving God. He says, now I am old and gray, and I've walked before you even to this day. This is a blessed testimony. So often I will pray... Lord, I pray I remain faithful to You my entire life. This is not something to take for granted. Many people walk with God and then walk with God no more. Many young people are in college get very excited about God and as soon as they get out of college they just kind of drift away. This happens all the time. It is not something to take for granted that somebody should start out serving God when they are young and continue serving God up until the time that they are old and gray. This is a blessing of God and something to which 
we should aspire to. I pray, Lord, I pray I don't slip away from you or grow cold or hard in my faith, that my heart does not become hard. Many people, as they get older, become cynical. And they start, you know, just start criticizing the church and the pastor and everything else around. And there is a way to deal with this. And that is to keep our faces and our noses fixed into the Word of God. Let the fear of God start come into our life through meditation on the Scripture. It is very easy to become lethargic in our faith. And Samuel is saying, I've not become lethargic. I have continued to serve God. Never take that for granted, that you have gone another year seeking God and serving God. Not that you're where you, 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 uh, you feel you should be, but that you are persisting in your walk with God. Because many people grow old and become cynical and fall away. And Paul speaks of different people. For example, he speaks of Demas. He says, Demas has loved this world and drifted away. He speaks of Demas had given him, uh, you know, uh, had caused him great harm. Many times it is believers who were once active in the church that become the most cynical and the most, uh, uh, um, the most condemning of the church. And if you think, oh, I'll be fine, you may not be. So pray to the Lord that, you, that He would keep you from following, keep you from falling away. That you remain so that one day you can say, I am old and gray, and I've walked before the Lord all my days. This is a good thing. Not to mean that you've never had a bad day, or a bad week, or a bad month, but that there is a pattern where you go with the Lord and grow with the Lord and persist with the Lord. This is a good thing to do. And then he says, Behold, my sons are with you. This is in verse 2. He never says, My sons are, are over you, because we know his sons had become corrupted. If you look back in chapter 8, verse 3, it says, His sons, Samuel's sons, however, did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. And that's because back in, in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, It came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. And his firstborn was Joel, and his second was Abiha, and they were judges in Beersheba, which was in the south. So in the su- southern part of Israel, they were judging, and they had fallen into taking bribes, into perverting justice, and going after dishonest gain. You say, well, you know, if he was a good father, that wouldn't have happened. no. He was probably a good father and it still happened. Children choose their own ways. And there's many good men who their children have chosen their own ways. Everybody is an independent entity. And so he says, my sons are with you today. He never says they are ruling over you today. He knew that that the sons had to be taken out of that position because of their dishonesty. So they were no longer serving in a place of leadership. This is something that Samuel did that Eli never did. Eli heard that his sons were corrupt, but he never pulled them out of that position. And so he, in fact, paid a a price for this as well. But in this case, Samuel doesn't talk about his sons ruling in any way anymore. They lost that opportunity. But then he says in verse 3, Here I am, bear witness against me. 
before the Lord and his anointed. His anointed meaning right here in front of King Saul. Bear witness against me. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or who have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. He says, have I taken anything from you in serving you? I've taken nothing in my service to you. I've taken nothing in my service to you. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? In other words, he had every right to have acquired things in his place of judgeship. Now, being a priest, he, he fed himself through the priest's portion that God had designated. But being not just a priest, but often also a prophet and a judge, he had every place to receive lots of things from people, but he wasn't exercising all the things that he could have done, let alone becoming corrupt in it. If you look in, in uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, a few books away, so if you've hit Job, you've gone a little too far. Job, you go back before Esther, you'll see Nehemiah. Nehemiah um, chapter 5, Nehemiah talks about something fairly similar. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14. Moreover, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year to the thirty-second year of King Artaxerxes, for twelve years, neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. Look at that. So, there is an allowance that is given to governors. He said, I didn't take the allowance and neither did my relatives. Even though I was entitled to it, that is the governor's allowance. I didn't take it. I really lived above and beyond what I was allowed to. And you will hear a lot of this. You will hear politicians, and it happens all the time. Politicians stand up and they say, this Congress will be the most honest Congress. We will live above the law. This administration will be the most transparent administration. And I'm not picking on any administration. I'm telling you, I've heard administrations for years say this. You younger people may have only heard this recently. I've heard this sort of thing for years. And every one of them is equally corrupt. Every one of them. It is so easy to say, and as soon as I hear them say, this is, we are going to live above the law. I've heard two recent administrations in the past 20 years say this. And both of those are some of the most corrupt administrations. Whenever anybody says, I'm going to live above the law, it means that they are clueless on how, how difficult a thing it is just to walk according to the law. When you have all of these things coming at you, and to suggest that you're going to live above the law means you're absolutely clueless. Samuel is able to say this in retrospect, in hindsight. In hindsight, you can say, I lived above the law. You can't say this in foresight. You don't know how you're going to live. And especially when you have an administration that's not just you as an individual, there's 
you know, a hundred people in your cabinet around you, that any one of them could be a screwball and, and make you look bad. He says, for 12 years, I've been governor. And I didn't take the governor's allowance, something that I was allowed to take, and neither did my family, my kinsmen. Look in verse 15 of Nehemiah chapter 5. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine, besides forty shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Even the, all the other governors, they extracted all sorts of things from you, he says. They laid burdens on you. In other words, they made you work for him. The governor made you work for him. And, they, and he took from you bread and wine and 40 shekels of silver. I took none of that, Nehemiah says. And even the governor's servants were extracting things from you. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. The fear of God will keep us from doing wrong things. The fear of God even keeps us at times from taking things that we're entitled to. Because we really want to live as uprightly as we possibly can. Samuel had every right as judge to extract from the people, but he never did. Remember what it said in Deuteronomy 17, we've read it several times, that concerning the kings that were supposed to rise up. In, in Deuteronomy 17 was, was the instruction that Moses was giving to the future kings. And one of the instructions there, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18, Now it shall come about, Deuteronomy 17, 18, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of these, this law and these statutes. Look at how we maintain the fear of God. By taking this book and reading it all the days of our life, this is good for you. I am telling you something that is good for you. Believe it and take hold of it. Read this book every day of your life and it will teach you to fear God. Because if you don't fear God, you will get this attitude of entitlement. The world owes me something. And you will never feel like you have enough. The world owes me something. It owes me respect. My boss owes me respect. My job owes me respect. My spouse owes me respect. My children owe me respect. And guess what? You're never going to have enough. It shall be with him. He shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. So it doesn't come just by reading it. It comes by observing it. When you read this, you observe it and you will have the fear of God placed in your life. That his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen. Look what happens with every politician, every one of them. Republican, Democrat, every one of them. Their heart is lifted up above and so they feel entitled 
that they should get this and this and this and this. And that's why you hear people in Congress abusing their power in Congress and using the jets to fly their own family this place and that place. How could they do that? They didn't go in there saying, I, I can't wait till I get there so I can fly my family around. No, you get in this position and everybody's kissing up to you all the time and you start to say, hey, you know, they, they think a lot of me. You start feeling good about yourself. And it's the same attitude that you have gotten in a little way because you're a senior and no longer a freshman. Like, hey, you know, I'm really something. Wait until you're CEO of a company. And people start, you know, showing you all sorts of respect just because you have this title and you may not even deserve it. And it can easily go to your head. Why? Because our hearts are sick. It easily goes to our head. You know, one of the most difficult things to handle is praise. Because it immediately goes to our head and corrupts our heart. And the Bible says here in verse 20, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, that he may not turn aside from the commandments to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in the kingdom in the midst of Israel. To keep our hearts from being lifted up, we have to have the fear of God. And the fear of God comes drilling down into us and convicts us of our sin. And we go, uh-oh, I'm really not what I thought I was. Because the fear of God exposes us. Nehemiah was entitled to this. He didn't take it. You will, be, you will have opportunity to get things. I have never, I have never taken a nickel for preaching the Word of God. If I was a full-time pastor, if I was in ministry, and this was my occupation, I would have to do it to supply for my family. But I get invited all sorts of places and they always want to give me money for preaching the Word of God. You know, I go into this pulpit and preach and they hand me a check. I say, no. And I hand it back. They say, no, no, we insist. They say, no, I insist. And I say, if you make me take this thing, I'm going to stick it right in your offering box. Then you can deal with it. I'm not going to take it. I've not taken a nickel all my life and I don't plan to change now. And then when they hear that, they know I'm really, you know, I really mean it. And if somebody gives it to you, just put it right back in their offering box. Unless you're in full time. You don't have to take all these things. Use what God has given you as a gift. Just offer it up to Him. Offer it up to Him. Now, if this is what you need to live on, that's one thing. But if not, to live, in, like Nehemiah was saying, I was entitled to the governor's allowance, but I didn't take it. Because I really wanted to live above it so that nobody would have a case against me. Oh, he just comes to preach. Look at that guy. You know, he, comes, he gets paid by rice and then he comes here and preaches to make money on the side. No. I don't come to make money on the side. I do this as service to my Lord. Because I know what the Lord has done in my life. You will be given opportunity to serve and to pour out. Do it. Do it. Serve and to pour out. You will never see an offering plate in my home to come in and have lunch and... You know, whatever you want to give, give for lunch. No, we, you will never see that in our home. Shuri and I, we've gone into homes of people, that, I mean, homes that are huge, that are like four times larger than this gymnasium that we're in now. And they'll have you over for a Christmas dinner and there's an offering box. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So the dinner costs you a few hundred dollars, even if it costs you a thousand dollars, so what? <clears throat> I mean, that's like the, the monthly air conditioning bill in this house. Big deal. 
you know, bless the body of Christ and give something. Do you see what I mean? Do something. Live above this thing like Nehemiah was talking about. And, and what Samuel says, he says, find it. Is there anything that I have done? Anything that I have done? Have I taken anything? He says, whose ox have I taken? In, in, in other words, he was entitled to take oxen. Whose donkey have I taken? He was entitled to take donkey. He says, anybody here? Is there any case? He didn't just say, I've lived above the law. I've never taken. He says, no. Is there anybody here? It says, all of Israel in verse 1 was there. All of Israel. Does anybody know? Have I taken from anybody? So in other words, he's not just saying, I lived above the law. He says, can anybody come forward and have a case against me? That's opening yourself up much differently. You know, it's very easy to stand up. I've never done anything wrong. It's a much different thing to say, is there anybody out there who has a case? Come on forward. Whom have I defrauded? Here was a judge of Israel. He's been a judge for, I don't know, 30 30 years or something was his judgeship after Eli by this time. Who have I defrauded? Anybody here as judge, have I defrauded you? Who have I oppressed? Have I used my position as judge to oppress somebody? It is so easy when you get brought up be given positions to start oppressing others. Who have I oppressed? You know, we have a, a, a woman who comes and cleans our house. And uh, uh, she comes on, on Mondays to clean up after Sundays. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to mop the floor and, floor and to clean up. This woman will do anything for us because my wife is so good to her. My wife treats her like a sister. She comes in, my wife hugs her. She, before she, she leaves, she makes her eat. She makes her take food home to her family. Treats this woman like a sister. When we go on vacation, if we are gone on vacation, she still pays the maid even though the maid isn't there because she knows the maid depends on this. You know, maids are hourly people. You know, they come, you pay them for the time they work. But she treats her as a salary person because she says, you know, this lady depends on it. So she pays her whether she's comes or not. And this woman just scrubs and cleans so nicely for us. And my kids have grown up in the home. She would bring her kids, play with my kids in the home since they were little. And she's worked in our house now for 11 years. She loves us and we love her. And, and sometimes she's come in crying and hurt or something has happened and she just comes over and my wife just loves her. It is easy to oppress people because they're not quite where we are. He says, who have I oppressed? Or, who, or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Can anybody here, he says, anybody here come forward and to show that I've taken a bribe from them? And not only does he say, and I would deny it, he says, I will restore it to you. He's not just going to deny it. He says, if you have a case against me, I'm not going to argue with you. I will just restore it to you. If, I, if you feel that I've defrauded you, I'm not going to argue with you about it. You don't have to take me to court over this. He says, I will restore it to you. I'll give it to you. This is what Paul says. Paul says, you go to court. Believer on believer, you go to court. He says, it is better to be defrauded. It is better to be defrauded than to take your Christian brother to court. It is better to be defrauded. 
Go ahead, just pay the thing. I'd rather not go to court. I will do anything to stay out of court. You know, all sorts of things. I will stay out of court. I was in a cab, and they, they got in a, in a car accident, in a cab. And the cab company was worried that I was going to sue them. The girl who hit us was worried that I was going to sue them. That her insurance company gave me money so that I wouldn't sue them. I couldn't take the money. Because they wanted to, me to sign a form in taking the money that I wouldn't sue her insurance company. They said, I can't sign this form. Because I have no intention of suing. It's just something that the Word of God instructs me to do. I couldn't take her money. And I, I broke a rib. Well, big deal. My rib healed. And, and I had my, my seatbelt on in the cab, which is the only reason why I broke my rib. If I didn't have that seatbelt on, I would have lost my face on that piece of plastic in the back. You know? So wear your seatbelt even in a cab, because those things have accidents sometimes. But it's better to live this way. It is much better, because if you learn to forgive others rather than to go to court, you know what will happen? When somehow you've hurt somebody and you're getting sued, people will be more, liable, more prone to forgive you if you forgive others. He says, I didn't need your stuff because remember I was telling you that, that you'll never feel like you have enough. There's this attitude of entitlement that comes with position. The New Testament tells us, the New Testament instructs us in uh, 1 Timothy 6.8, it says, with food and clothing, with these things you should be content. With food and clothing. There, is only, there are only two things that we are promised materially in this life, in the New Testament, and that is food and clothing. That is it. We are not even given a home. We are not guaranteed a home. Jesus, it says, has no home. The birds of the air have nests, the foxes of the, hole, uh, of the field have holes in the ground, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. We are given no promise of a home, of a house. But we are given the promise of food and clothing. With this you shall be content. If you realize that the only thing that God promises me as a believer, 1 Timothy 6.8, is food and clothing, then everything you have, your apartment, your car, your job, everything you have is an added blessing. Liable to be taken from you at any time, but if you have it now, it is an added blessing. You will be much more content. You will be much more content. He does not promise you a spouse. He does not promise you children. He does not promise you health. The only thing He promises you is food and clothing. As a believer in the New Testament, that is the promise of what we get materially, is food and clothing. Everything else is an added blessing. And then you can look up and you can say, I have a lot to be thankful for. A lot. Because God in His mercy in this time in my life has given me so much more than that. And so that you realize that one day it may be taken from you. You don't know that your spouse is going to live and you're both going to live to grow old and gray together. You don't know that. I have known couples where they were engaged and one of the, one of the partners has died in a car accident and they were engaged. I've known another couple that was married for one month. And, one of the, and, and the guy dropped dead of a heart attack. He was, he was like 22 years old. There is no guarantee of anything in life other than food and clothing. That's the only thing materially that we are guaranteed. And so that when things are taken from us, we can say with Job, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be 
the name of the Lord. This sort of attitude actually doesn't bring despair. It brings great contentment. Because you don't deserve a nicer car. I deserve a nicer house than this. I deserve a nicer car than this. No, you don't. You don't deserve air conditioning in your car. It's not something that you deserve. If you have it, praise God. If you don't, open the windows. It's not going to hurt you. I've done it many, many years. I did many years. I was, I was a full professor before I had working air conditioning in my car. My car was a little red Dodge that I bought, used, and I would come home, and so many times, Shireen would see me walking home, and she'd say, your car broke down again, didn't it? And that was right. You know, my car broke down, or she'd see a tow truck driver drop me, dropping me off at home. And it was a red car. And, and it would get so hot in the South Carolina sun. But, you know, the good thing about it was it was a little car, so I could roll down this window, and it physically rolled it down, and I could just easily reach across and roll down that window. Since it was a small car, I could reach across easily. And I would go home, and my whole back would be covered with sweat by the time I got home. But it was okay. It was okay. And God was gracious to us. One day there was a CEO was visiting me from some company, and he needed a ride back to the airport. And I tried to get my students, because they always had nicer cars, and it was too late to get him back to the airport, to call a cab and get him back to the So I had to take him. And he was a fairly hefty guy, and we had to walk a ways to get to the car. And by the time we got to the car, he was huffing and puffing, and, and uh, he was carrying a lot of extra mass with him. And we got in the car, and... You know, I just turned on the fan. You know, they're just blowing hot air. That's all I had. And I put down the window and we're going. And the, 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 the roof, the, on the roof of the car, you know, that there's this material up there. And it was hanging down and I used to put it up with, with thumbtacks. It was hanging down and it was hitting him in the head. And his head was just covered with sweat. And as it was hitting him, the, the roof was red. And it was leaving this red felt on his forehead. <laughs> and he didn't know it. I knew it because I was looking at him. And he, we got to the airport and he was just covered in sweat. And he just got out of the car and he left. He never called me again. But you know, what are you going to do? I mean, this is all I had. And I was okay with this. With food and clothing, you shall be content. And this is a good way to live. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God, for the testimony of, uh, of Samuel, how he could say that he didn't even look at his life as being entitled to take anything from anyone. His service was to you. Father, I thank you <clears throat> for Nehemiah, the same sort of thing. He wouldn't even take the prescribed allowance, lest there be any bitter feelings against him. Father, I pray that you take these young people and build in them a desire to serve you and to honor you in this way. Father, I pray that you would build in them just a heart of contentment with food and with clothing. With this, they should be content. Father, I pray for your grace to be there, the grace of God upon their lives, to build in them contentment and uprightness, and that they would learn to fear God and honor Him. And I give this to you, O Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.